Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, the only show that takes a look at the obstacles and opportunities open to small to mid-sized enterprises that manufacture here in America. Brought to you by All Metals and Forge Group, with your hosts, Tim Grady and Lou Wise. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're back to be with you. I'm glad to be back with you uh, this Tuesday. We're the voice of manufacturing globally, and we're going to be talking about a couple of interesting subjects today. First half of the show, we're going to be talking about lean manufacturing and what uh, is going on in that arena and make sure that everyone understands it. And we have two uh, experts from two very prestigious companies who are joining us. The second half of the show, we're going to be talking with Norbert Orr about uh, the 18 business surveys that are conducted around the world on economies around the world to see how economies are faring. Before we get to uh, that subject and we uh, begin our show with our guests on lean manufacturing, I want to throw it over to my co-host, Lou, and see what's happening in uh, uh, the world of news and what was taking place last week. Lou, how are you doing today? Doing great. Doing great. Thank you. And uh, those 18 uh, surveys, those are monthly surveys, are they not? They are monthly surveys. You're correct. It's a lot of information to be pondering. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, uh, as usual, we have our uh, podcast from uh, last week's, uh, our postscript from our last week's show. Uh, We had uh, Women in Manufacturing, uh, Teresa Beach-Shilo, owner and president of Superior Joining Technologies, and Tracy and Lori Tapani, co-owners of Wyoming Machine, and I don't know if you know where that is, but it is in Minneapolis, Minnesota, not Wyoming. And uh, we talked uh, a lot about women in manufacturing and uh, the issues and the uh, careers uh, that they're setting forth uh, for a really an untapped pool uh, that may actually wind up helping the skill gaps issue that seems to be plaguing our uh, our country. So that was a, a great, uh, great show. Very insightful. Uh, WIM, manu- Women in Manufacturing, are having their WIM Summit in Minneapolis on September 23rd, 24th, and 25th. And uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio will be there. Uh, we'll be on the floor. We'll be interviewing and broadcasting. So uh, that'll be on September 8th uh, next week. Uh, I'm sorry. Yes, September 8th next week. Uh, In the news, uh, Airbus, our competitor to Boeing, has officially opened their plant in Mobile, Alabama, yesterday. Uh, They're competing against uh, Boeing's uh, single-aisle, small regional jet uh, aircraft business, and uh, that surely will make some kind of dent into Boeing's uh, business uh, model. Uh, Based on the numbers of Boeing, 73% of their business is commercial. 21% is defense in a downtrend. So they are really relying on uh, the commercial business. So it's going to be a a nip-and-tuck fight for for the business. I'd like to point out some news that we normally don't get involved in. It's uh, political and geopolitical, and we usually stay away from that. But this has been happening since yesterday, and I I didn't see too much in mainstream uh, news regarding this. But it seems as though our fearless leader in North Korea, who I affectionately refer to as Ping Pong, um, has been rattling the swords again and claiming that they are going back into the nuclear weapons industry, and they actually have a missile that could reach the U.S. shores with a miniaturized nuclear weapons device. Um, This could be more lies as in the past, but certainly something to um, uh, spark your interest and keep your eye on. Uh, so that's the end of our, our news. I, I do want to mention uh, next week's show. Uh, I, we will bring it up again at the latter part of the show, but I want to mention for you who may not be at the end of the show that Cliff Waldman from Maypie uh, is going to be giving his uh, uh, report to us. 
that's uh, mapi.net if you want to look up and see what that's all about. And um, Tim, take it away. Thanks, Lou. I'd like to introduce our two guests to talk about lean manufacturing. The first is Christian Kostler, who's Vice President of Operations for Steel. If you're not uh, familiar with steel, you probably haven't cut down a tree in your backyard. I've dropped about 60 of them, and nothing works like a steel. Great piece of uh, chainsaw equipment. Christian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tim, for having me. And we also have Michael Daly, Director of Operations for Hypertherm. Uh, Hypertherm makes all kinds of uh, specialized uh, uh, laser and plasma cutters. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tim. Pleasure to be here. Um, Mike, your company is a U.S. manufacturer in Hanover, uh, New Hampshire, and you got involved in lean manufacturing. I wonder if you could explain to our listeners your version or blend of lean manufacturing and what it's meant to Hypertherm up there in New Hampshire. Sure. Um, I think our our lean journey uh, really started in earnest uh, in the mid-'90s. The company itself is about almost 50 years old now, but really we started the lean journey in the mid-'90s really with almost a suggestion box uh, starting point. Continuous improvement activities and ideas were generated by associates uh, on the floor and throughout the company, and that's grown through time through uh, Six Sigma and, and black belts throughout the company, um, but in the last few years now, we've really focused on lean manufacturing, teaching lean principles, uh, and a rigorous uh, project management approach of, of some ideas coming from uh, folks on our shop floor. Um, the results have been fantastic for flow in the, sh- in the shop, and it's really driven results to the bottom line uh, from a profit standpoint as well as from a delivery and service to our customers. And Christian, how about lean manufacturing uh, in uh, steel USA? Uh, great question. I mean, it's a baseline necessity, producing your product smarter. Um, so involving the stakeholders, which means from from the worker on on the floor, from the associates there, up up to to management. Everybody needs to be in tune. What's what's going on, and involve uh, the the resident experts uh, to improve your your workflow, and also make sure you follow up uh, from top down with with shop floor monitoring system, real time analysis of KPIs, and then uh, target the areas which which are not doing so good. So um, looking at the areas which always do good doesn't get you better because uh, you need to focus where where you have maybe some pain points and you want to mitigate those with the appropriate strategy. But again, involving the stakeholders uh, on, on the floor uh, to, to make this thing better. They're, they're the resident experts, not, not the manager who uh, is in his office and uh, uh, is, is more focused on, on, on the office work. Uh, Christian, you've worked on both sides of the pond, both in Germany and the United States. And Lou and I are always talking about reshoring and jobs coming back to America. You're back in the U.S. now as Vice President of Operations at Steel. Um, Have you seen uh, anywhere in your uh, sojourns with Steel jobs moving back to the USA, or has Steel always been a proud and powerful uh, producer here in the U.S.? So uh, steel uh, started manufacturing here in 1974, and we always believed in the market for the market. And uh, that's the baseline, uh, the base principle we operate on. And then from 1974, we grew constantly with, with the domestic market as well as with the export market. So we export about in 97 countries in the world out uh, from Virginia Beach here. And uh, this this is a two-legged approach. So domestic market on one hand, which is, of course, the largest portion of our manufacturing business, as well, the export market. And uh, you talked about geopolitical issues. We watch those as well due to the latter part of our manufacturing business. Uh, what percentage of your business, uh, Christian, is your export business? Uh, 
it depends on 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 the years and um we we got a little bit hit by the russian effect by the economy there right uh, so the export numbers are are probably a little bit less than they they used to but um mm-hmm. between 50 50 60 40 um uh, 60 40 being domestic is, is usually a, a a good indicator of what's going on and um the reshoring aspect you had beforehand um we never went away we never went away for the pursuit of cheap labor so uh we never went to mexico or 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 uh, far east um from from our facility here in virginia beach we stayed true to our fact of built built in america and we're very proud of that campaign well, the export numbers is very impressive, and it certainly helps balance of payments for our country. Um, I think that's something that the government needs to promote even more than they more than they are now. So, kudos to you. Yeah, thank you. Now, Mike, uh, at Hypertherm, I know you folks are committed to uh, manufacturing in the USA. Have you ever looked at? Uh, um, offshoring, does it make any sense uh, for hypertherm to even consider such a thing? Well, you know, we consider all options. And I, if I go back to the mid-2000s, a colleague of mine did a, an extensive study of, of uh, actually, we, we manufacture uh, replacement parts and consumable parts for our systems. And we did a real deep analysis of manufacturing offshore uh and when we got right down to it, the, the risk to some of our process, uh, intellectual property, as well as some of the labor content just wasn't as high and we wouldn't yield any of those uh, rewards, we decided to remain in the United States and redouble our efforts on lean, uh, redouble our efforts on creative uh, automation and uh, capital investment. Uh, and we sort of uh, weathered the storm and uh, we grew substantially in the 2000s. And today, I think we have uh, a very small portion of our manufacturing through an acquisition is done in Europe. Uh, and we have some contract manufacturers, but well over 90% of our manufacturing is conducted here in the United States. About, oh, about two-thirds of our output uh, is shipped uh, globally outside of the United States. Mike, what's the key to lean in your, in your estimation for hypertherm? Well, you know, uh, I, I mentioned that we really rely on, on our associates on the floor doing the work to come up with creative ideas or identify issues that our, that our experts can, can uh, uh, lean into. Um, and, and really listening to those associates, getting creative before we spend capital. So we really value creativity over capital. Um, we're, we're organized into uh, smaller business units, entrepreneurial business units, and we really try to generate uh, value in each of those units and then share great ideas across the units. Um, so we have you know, 10 or 11 uh, business teams that make up the, the company, uh, each run by a general manager, and, and there's like a, a great competition across teams to generate uh, value for the company, and then we share those regularly across the organization. How about uh, Christian in steel? I mean, you, one of the things you talk about is vertically integrated production. Can you uh, touch on that for us, please? Yeah, it, go- it goes hand in hand with uh, our lean manufacturing approach. I mean, if you go into a process, you want to simplify the process at hand, stabilize the process, and then potentially automate it. And the best automation is the automation you don't deploy because simplifying and stabilizing process yielded to the uh, benefits and the results you wanted to achieve. Um, vertical integration for us was always the guarantee to meet our quality, delivery deadlines, control our cost, and make sure uh, we have best possible uh, product internally, uh, then, uh, which will then result in the best possible product for the, for the consumer. Um, our quantities uh, are, are much higher than chop shops, and uh, we're not playing in the same realm with uh, with the automotive. So for us, it was a logical consequence to pull these uh, uh, injection molding machining. We do piston machining. We do crankshaft machining. Um, uh, we do assembly. Uh, we pull all these uh, entities in-house and are cost competitive. 
which is always baselined with, with make-or-buy decisions along the line. So it keeps also the, the uh, internal uh, business units uh, up to speed for new technology because they're competing against the outside world. And at the end, uh, what I said before, it, it controls our cost, quality, and in delivery. I'd like to switch off topic just for a moment, uh, but it, it comes around the barn and it, it does, I think, address lean manufacturing. Uh, we've been talking a lot about uh, skills gaps, uh, skill gaps, and uh, the graying of America and uh, re- the retirees leaving and the millennials and so on and so forth. And and I know that everyone who has any serious uh, Thoughts about their company should be talking about apprentice programs and uh, lifelong careers and uh, workforce development and so on. Uh, we have a phrase here that we use: uh, recruit, retrain, retain, um, and all of that uh, does address the uh, the cost of retraining people or the cost of turnover. Uh, Today, uh, people don't look at jobs as a lifelong career, as uh, my folks did and perhaps yours. Uh, now that you're looking at a job for two or three or four years and then moving along. The idea, of course, is that manufacturers should be making an environment for lifelong careers. So I, I open the, the, the topic uh, to you, Michael, uh, and uh, let's hear some of your thoughts on this. Yeah, I mean, as, as you mentioned, uh, we're headquartered and the lion's share of our manufacturing is, is based here in New Hampshire, up in Hanover, New Hampshire. Um, population isn't great. There's there's not a uh, – unemployment uh, consistently runs below the national average. So uh, folks are difficult to, to hire, especially with the skills that we're looking for. In the, uh, in the mid-2000s, we partnered with a few agents, local agencies and developed our own uh, – machine operator training program, uh, uh, Hypertherm Technical Training Institute, where we created a curriculum, we hired trainers, uh, and we grew our own machine operators to feed our business. We were seeing uh, regular 10 to 20% year-on-year growth through the 2000s, and we just could not meet the, the hiring needs or the skill needs uh, by relying on outside agencies. So we developed our own institute. And we've continued to hire uh, and train through that program uh, since 2005. We're up to about 500 machine operators that we have run through that program and and launched onto our factory floor. So we truly believe in in developing uh, uh, machine operators uh, and uh, technical people that uh, work their way through the organization into engineering roles ultimately. yeah, so that, that's our philosophy is to, to retain. We have actually a no layoff policy here at Hypertherm. So even in the depths of the recession, we redeployed associates to cover uh, basic maintenance needs in the factory to uh, maintain that skilled workforce. Well, that's terrific. Um, and just so anybody in the audience might want to reach out to you, uh, can you give us your URL or email address that they may want to reach to you? Yeah, sure. We're we're located at uh, hypertherm.com, and my email address is michael.daily at hypertherm.com, and I'd be happy to share what we've done here in New Hampshire um, and uh, spend some time with you. Excellent, excellent. And Christian, uh, give us a little insight into your uh, apprentice programs and philosophies on uh, uh, recruit, retrain, and retain. Uh, absolutely, Lou. Um, starting out in in the 80s, we we saw the need for an apprentice program, and uh, we built up on that foundation. And uh, once you go through our apprentice program, which is about three and a half years, you uh, have an associate's degree, a certification from the state of Virginia, and um, uh, since last year, you also get an IHK certification, which is the gold standard of apprentice programs, which comes over from uh, Germany. Uh, and they've been doing apprentice programs for over 250 years and basically certifies the standard of, of what you're doing. We're doing that in, in conjunction with uh, the local community college um, here at TCC and um, have a long standing partnership. 
and opened up also our our floor here to neighboring companies uh, at cost base to participate in the same program. And um, if if you look at retention, uh, was I think one side question of yours. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. the average the average tenure in our company, regardless of its hourly salary, it's close to ten years. So uh, for us, uh, educating people and retraining people is a must because they stay on with us. It's uh, it's it's always a, the old argument when somebody says, "Oh, I'm training a person and then he leaves me." Uh, that costs me money. On the other end, uh, you don't train the uh, person and he stays on with you for the end of his career. I think you're you, you, you in, in worse shape. So um, by, by creating a, a good family-oriented environment, uh, people will stay with on, uh, on with you and, and see that as a career path. And similar, like Mike mentioned it, um, once, once, they, uh, once, once we kindle the fire, uh, through an apprentice program, because not everybody goes out and goes on a four-year degree engineering school. Uh, that's a catalyst for us uh, to go uh, further and and uh, become maybe an engineer. And we have also that path engineer and training. Um, so for us, it is uh, uh, a, a normal mode of business uh, and, and making sure the, the, the employees have the tools what they need. And the apprentice program is only one side of it. It's, it's for us our creme de la creme program where we have about 400 applicants each year applying for roughly six to eight positions. Um, so it's very exclusive and we want to keep it that way uh, because we only want to keep the best for the best in, in this environment for specialty mechatronic tasks uh, tool tool shop and whatnot, and also we have a side program then out of it into machinists in our machining department. And how can our listeners get in touch with you, uh, Christian? Best way, um, if you want to hear more about the program, it's on SteelUSA.com, and we have applications uh, and uh, show you how to apply for that program as well. It will also outline about. Um, manufacturing camps, what we did in the past and we're going to do in the future. So uh, I think our webpage will, will show you uh, a good way overview of, of our manufacturing initiatives to make sure we get the talent pool we need. Well, I have to commend uh, both your companies of having the foresight of seeing this issue 20 and 30 years ago. Uh, I can tell you that there have not been a lot of those companies particularly the smaller companies, they, they have their struggles and their issues with regards to uh, skilled uh, labor and uh, retaining and uh, uh, teaching uh, new employees the, the mechanics of the job. So I commend you on that and uh, uh, wish you well with it. Um, Tim? Having a quick question for you, Christian. You made a very interesting comment, if I heard you correctly, that you've opened up your training program, your apprenticeship program, to neighboring companies. Did I hear that correct? That is correct. And um, um, I, I approached about 20 companies in, 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 in this area, and uh, we have two uh, companies, always with German roots, uh, now joining, uh, joining here. And... Uh, of course, there's the, the, the legal side where we have to make sure that uh, all the T's and C's are covered, but it's basically at cost. Um, we don't want to make profit of that. That's just to allow uh, other others to participate in our uh, apprentice labs uh, and, and share a little bit the, the, the experience and the, uh, the training. Of course, there's no poach clause, so I'm not going to steal anybody else's employer. So we, we know from the get-go who's coming in. They all need to be on the same level. Um, they need to have the same standards so we don't have people struggling behind. So we rather say, sorry, not with you, but uh, do some more uh, traditional training, coaching, and maybe you're ready for that next year. It's a very interesting approach. Uh, very creative at Steel to open up their program to neighboring companies. Hadn't heard that one before. Uh, no, that's I, a new I one. I on that. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Um, now, both of your companies individually have been recognized recently for your lean manufacturing accomplishments. 
Mike, can you share a little bit about uh, that acknowledgement uh, um, for hypertherm? Um, yes, I mean, uh, hypertherm, as I mentioned, we've been at this for quite a while now. And we, we've been, uh, we, we apply for, for different distinctions all the time, whether it's for uh, uh, best place to work in New Hampshire and things like that. Um, but ultimately, the, the, the results uh, around our lean efforts uh, the biggest reward is is the fact that we can serve our customers in a much more effective manner, uh, and ultimately that leads to uh, value for the organization, uh, sustainable employment for all of our associates. As I mentioned, we're an employee-owned company, and those benefits and those recognitions uh, ultimately lead to uh, bottom-line profit for the company and ultimately for our owners. So that's really the, the, the true uh, reward for all of us here at Hypertherm. And since your owners are your employees because you're a 100% ESOP, I imagine they're very motivated to get involved with Lean and do the best they can to make it an efficient operation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Over the past year, we've trained all of our uh, frontline associates in uh, 10 uh, Lean principles and standards, really the, the North Star of, of Lean for every uh, workspace in the company. So regardless of whether you're in a machining cell, an assembly cell, um, the same 10 principles apply and we audit to those principles so people can achieve bronze, silver, gold standard in each of these 10, 10 different principles. Christian, share with us the, uh, the uh, acknowledgement that Steele got in this same arena, if you would, please. Yeah, and and I, I second here to 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 Mike here that the distinctions or the rewards are the side product of of the work. I mean, you're convinced about lean manufacturing, you're convinced about your process, you're convinced about the culture in in your factory, and the rewards are then yeah, let's say the attaboy, the the, the pat on your on your back for the team to get the rec uh, recognition. So we had the AME Award, Assembly Plan of the Year, and Polymer Process of the Year Award. Um, so these are, these are the acknowledgement of the respective uh, functional areas or of the company as a total. Uh, were we doing the right things and being acknowledged by uh, peers in, in the industry which critically review your processes and sometimes uh, at the IME, um, these these uh, audits are more intense than any ISO audits you can imagine, and it's it's a good discussion, a good uh, exchange of ideas, and I can only recommend doing these things to see engage yourself and make sure you're on the right track. So um, uh, it's 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 the side product, but uh, it's an important one to uh, to make sure you're on the right path. Well, we appreciate uh, both of you gentlemen sharing your insights with uh, Manufacturing Talk Radio and our audience around the world. Uh, Christian, thank you for being on Manufacturing Talk Radio today. It was a pleasure, and um, I would gladly invite you to come down to Virginia Beach and uh, do a live show out of our facility here at Steel. I remember you said that, uh, Christian, and uh, has been duly noted. Could be fun. I hope you got there's some trees in the neighborhood I can drop with one of your saws. Uh, we, we, we will get you some specialized training, so um, and show you our our newest uh, developments and saws. Okay, and it's not only oh, the saws; cool. it's the blowers, it's the trimmers, and uh, uh, to plug a little bit uh, on our uh, fall season coming, we will have uh, a uh, very low uh, entry trimmer, um, which will blow away the competition. I'll tell you what, Tim, you can go do that, and I'll go out on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> Works for me. Mike, thank you for being on the show with us today as well. No, thanks very much for having me. And I did invite you up to uh, Hanover, New Hampshire in February, but I think you may end up going to Virginia. <laughs> do you have a beach up there? <laughs> Not exactly. No beaches. <laughs> it's frozen at that you. time of the year. Thank you for being on the show, and uh, we'll be keeping in touch with you for futures. Take care, guys. Thank you. Thanks very much. Uh, Lou, again, what's happening next week that we want our listeners to tune into? Uh, next week we're going to have uh, where is that? Um, we're going to have the Director of Economic Studies at MAPI, 
uh, Cliff Waldman, who's a, who's become a regular, and uh, they will be talking about uh, uh, global uh, economic uh, uh, information in regards to productivity and innovation. And uh, we're looking forward to that. We always get a great show from Immigrated Insight. Tim? Thanks, Lou. We're going to take a commercial break, uh, and then we're going to come back and we'll be listening and chatting with Norbert Orr, who is our senior correspondent for Global Business Surveys. And he'll be talking about the 18 surveys that uh, he follows. We uh, may not get every comment in that we'd like to have from him. Uh, He presents a lot of information, and we're going to dive into those more deeply in future shows because Norbert's going to be a regular on the show. But for right now, we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back with Manufacturing Talk Radio. Manufacturing Talk Radio will be right back. How do you keep your business humming? Where do you go when you're looking for quality suppliers of new equipment? Components, MRO supplies, repair services, or even raw materials. 30 years ago, you would have turned to the Thomas Register. Today, those big green books are better than ever at thomasnet.com, industry's leading platform for product sourcing and supplier discovery. You can easily find that local machine shop, national distributor, OEM, or any supplier having the right quality certification, fast and free. You can even get to specific products, components, or downloadable 3D CAD drawings simply by entering specifications or part numbers. There's a reason thomasnet.com has become the go-to supplier discovery tool for procurement professionals and engineers. There's simply no other resource like it, and it's all free. Go to thomasnet.com today and see how top-notch supplier discovery doesn't have to put a dent into your bottom line. American Crane and Equipment Corporation in Douglasville, Pennsylvania is a leader in specialized cranes, hoists, and material handling equipment for industries including aerospace, nuclear, oil and gas, transit, construction, and waste handling. Call 877-877-6778 or visit AmericanCrane.com. That's AmericanCrane.com or 877-877-6778. All Metals and Forge Group is an ISO 9001 AS and EN 9100 manufacturer of open die forgings and seamless rolled rings in alloy, carbon, stainless and tool steels, aluminum, copper, titanium, and nickel alloys. Visit us at SteelForge.com or call... 800-600-9290. Welcome back to Manufacturing Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone, to Manufacturing Talk Radio. In this segment, we are very pleased to introduce our senior correspondent on global business surveys. For those of you who are not familiar with global business surveys and may be familiar with the ISM survey that comes out, Uh, once a month on the first business day of the month, there are 18 other surveys that happen around the world that Mr. Norbert Orr keeps up on. He is formerly from the ISM, where he did manufacturing business survey reports for the ISM for 15 years. In fact, he's attained the status of certified professional in supply management and certified purchasing manager, and is the winner of the prestigious J. Shipman Gold Medal, which is presented annually by the Institute of Supply Management for Leadership and Service in the Field. He's noted supply management leader whose career has focused on value creation in global supply chains, and he is also head of industry surveys for Strategus Research Partners, which is a macro research firm specializing in economics, policy research, and technical analysis. Norbert, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you. It's quite a title, Norbert. <laughs> Welcome aboard the show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Us. Uh, I'm uh, uh, fortunate that uh, I work with a number of different organizations and uh, and have uh, some responsibility in each of those, and so I get a title along with those, Lou. Well, it uh, keeps you out of trouble, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> Well, Norbert, I wonder if you would share with our listeners these 18 uh, reports, these 18 surveys that occur around the uh, around the world in in business. I started out in supply management, as you mentioned, and uh, uh, 
to me, supply management is a, a, a continuing lesson in microeconomics, uh, buyer-seller uh, relationships, supply-demand balance, and so on. And uh, so it's only natural that if you uh, have an interest in supply management, I think you, you ultimately, whether you know it or not, are, are a uh, closet uh, economist. Uh, and so I got involved with uh, first with ISM uh, in 1996 uh, doing the manufacturing survey, was involved in the development of the non-manufacturing survey in uh, 1997 and uh, continued on through that uh, while I was uh, a practicing supply manager through 2010. When uh, uh, I retired uh, from supply management work, uh, I, it really gave me the opportunity to dedicate time to uh, 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 the, the economic side of, of things and so on. And uh, I, I got together with uh, strategic research partners uh, that kind of uh, allowed me to continue to look at uh, the, the world, the, the economic world, the uh, business world through uh, business surveys, and, and in doing that, I looked at 18 different surveys globally that each month I track, um, everything from the ISM, U.S. ISM data series to Canada, Mexico, uh, Asia, Europe, and so on, and I'll, I'll touch on some of those areas as we get deeper into the topic. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm looking for two things. Are, are, are those economies growing based on their survey data, or are they uh, contracting? And if they are growing, are they growing faster or getting stronger, or are they growing but weakening while they do that? And, and same thing with uh, with the contraction. Is, uh, uh, is it contracting at a rapid rate, or is it contracting uh, slowly, or, or is it – at a uh, reduced rate anyway for, for contraction. So measuring the, the economic world through these surveys, it's the earliest information that anybody has uh, collectively on what data. If you take World Bank data, you take the government data, any of those, they're all lagging 60, 90 days behind what the business survey data does. So what I try to do is help read the numbers and give people an early look at what uh, what we look like uh, globally. Well, let's take a look at uh, Asia, for instance, uh, the areas of China and all the other countries around Asia. It, everyone's worried about China and Asia and where it's going. What's your sense of what's happening over there? Well, uh, China has deep and lingering problems. Uh, and more than anything else, they have a demand problem. Uh, they forced demand uh, for uh, almost two decades uh, through uh, building cities that didn't have a uh, that weren't occupied, uh, making a, an awful lot of mistakes. Uh, uh, I've always felt that China uh, uh, did a poor job of using their buying power. Uh, that uh, China had a history of jumping into the market and buying huge quantities uh, of, of different raw materials. Uh, and uh, a good buyer knows that you want to get into a market, you want to buy what you want, uh, what you want and you want to quietly leave without causing any uh, real ripple effects uh, from the market, uh, or else you're bidding against yourself. And so the Chinese wound up bidding up their prices on an awful lot of things, and that resulted for the rest of us. So uh, they have to sit, uh, they have to live with this demand problem, uh, and try to reinstitute demand at a reasonable level, at the same time switching to a, a consumer focus. Well, that'd be a challenge for now, Lou. I know you've made a couple of trips to China, and you have seen. The vacant cities. How big are they? Uh, they're big. Uh, we I don't remember the name, uh, but we did drive into uh, a particular town, uh, village, and uh, there were there had to be 30, 40 apartment buildings that were all empty, and the only people on the streets were these little old Chinese ladies with their witch brooms, uh, dusting the sand. That comes in from the Gobi Desert, and that was it. And I, I kept on talking with our uh, 
uh, a colleague that was with us and asked, where are they getting all these people from? Well, they're bringing them in from the farms. I said, well, then you won't have any food, and you already have a 3% deficit. This doesn't make sense. And this goes back to 2007, 8, 9. And, uh, you know, they're still keeping those buildings uh, in good repair, but they don't have enough people, which is ridiculous to say about China. (laughs) You know, there's 160 cities in China with a population in excess of a million people. Right, and so they built uh, several cities that have that were the uh, capacity-wise expected to house a million to a million and a half people. Uh, the Chinese also some have something culturally where uh, they don't like to buy something that is used, so uh, they try to uh, try try to keep speculators out. They're not doing a very good job of it, or weren't doing a very good job of it, but trying to keep speculators out. But the spe- speculators bought uh, condos, etc., apartments, with the idea that nobody would ever move into it until they were able to resell it. Well, then the bottom fell out uh, on pricing, and so uh, it's created a, a, even that much deeper of a problem for them. Oh, that's a real mess, and it'll be interesting to watch them get out of that one. Now, Norbert, what do you do? You have a sense of what the real GDP is over there. I, everyone's talking, at least in single digits, but no one's sure whether it's two or nine. Yeah, I, I think uh, first of all, whether it's GDP in the United States or Europe or any other part of the world, GDP is terribly difficult to to measure. We see that. Uh, in the the revisions that come through GDP, some pretty large revisions in our own data. Uh, interestingly, the Chinese data is never revised. Uh, <laughs> they they are so sure that they have it right the first time, I guess, that they don't they don't have to uh, they don't have to do that. Uh, supposedly, at one point they were looking at 10% growth in GDP, as uh, along with several other emerging. Uh, nations. Uh, it's actually easier to believe in, in some of the other emerging economies than it is in, in China, just simply because of the size. Uh, China is a huge economy, uh, about half the size of uh, of the U.S. at this point. Uh, and uh, anyway, I, I, let's say they were at the 10 percent. Uh, I think the, the data uh, that I see on it, uh, the survey data, tells me that there hasn't been a lot of change month to month in their economy. Uh, but uh, we're looking at a period of probably 30 months to 36 months when uh, I believe that uh, there's a slow attrition taking place. And so I, I think they are legitimately down in the 3 to 4% range. Uh, they're not at the 7% range that's talked about. Uh, uh, things have slowed dramatically, uh, and, and you have to remember China is, uh, when you have 160 cities as large as they are, uh, you're going to have some areas, Shanghai, Beijing, all of the governments in Beijing, uh, those are going to do better than what uh, some of the other cities are going to, going to, to be doing. So. Uh, it's it's hard to hard to put a finger on it, but I, I would suspect it's uh, on on the lower side, uh, down around three percent. And let's talk about Mexico for a moment. That's uh, kind of interesting because it looks like the Maquiadores are coming back in Mexico, and we're talking about nearshoring. How's Mexico doing? Uh, Mexico has been doing extraordinarily well uh, based on the data that uh, that I follow. Uh, consistent growth uh, and at a reasonably good rate associated with it. Uh, Ford just announced a $2 billion investment in Mexico for an engine plant. And so Me- Mexico has... Uh, is is benefiting uh, from uh, continuing growth, bec- primarily because they're closely tied to the U.S. auto industry, and the auto industry has done well for uh, uh, probably f- uh, three or four years now, and so that that helps uh, helps Mexico in that regard. Uh, they're very well placed. Uh, the, there is a downside to the Mexican economy right now because of energy prices being as low as they are. Uh, Mexico was counting on on energy going forward. So, 
uh, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, they're um, uh, very very positive right now and should continue to uh, uh, to benefit from that. In fact, some of our political issues with regard to the border and that type of thing, the better the Mexican economy does, the the more likely. Uh, uh, the immigration is going to be minimized and so on. Uh, so it, it's a good thing to, to see the Mexican economy doing well. Uh, Norbert, the uh, great disappointment, um, uh, I think globally, are the BRIC countries, and particularly uh, Brazil. Uh, what do you? When do you see them coming out of the uh, proverbial toilet? Uh, that, that's a... An interesting question, Lou. Uh, you know, it sounds like has we the may not have an answer. Yeah, well, <laughs> Brazil has the Olympics coming up next year, and so a lot of what they're doing is focused on that. Uh, at the same time, they're very disappointed because they had one administration that committed to the Olympics and uh, promised all kinds of, uh, uh, of glorious things. And now a new administration's taken over with a different economy. And uh, now they're no longer wanting to be the show place uh, that they, they wanted to try earlier. And so they're cutting way back on facilities and, and so on with, uh, uh, with the Olympics. They did a decent job with the World Cup uh, at multiple venues uh, last year. Uh, we'll see. They've got 28 sports, I think, uh, uh, Olympic categories that uh, uh, we'll see how they, they handle that. Uh, an interesting thing about uh, Mex uh, about Brazil, and uh, you would understand this, I think, uh, as well as as anybody. Uh, as a buyer, I found that uh, shipping machinery, for instance, into Mexico, I mean, I'm sorry, into Brazil, uh, was was a challenge. That uh, the tariffs were like 35 percent, and many of those tariffs still exist, and so. Uh, uh, Brazil's uh, economy has suffered from uh, uh, self-inflicted wounds that uh, they haven't traded as freely, uh, they haven't invested well, uh, uh, the local energy company uh, in Brazil, Petrobras, uh, has uh, energy and chemicals, and, and they have... Uh, always had uh, been noted for their potential, but never for any actualization of uh, of what's happened with that. So they they've struggled. Um, Russia, well, let's just leave it to say Russia is Russia. Um, they've got <laughs> they've got their agenda. Uh, they still don't understand uh, how to compete on a world on a global basis. Uh, India uh, get. Make strides forward. Uh, uh, the question is: Is it two steps forward and one step back, or is it one step forward and two steps back? Uh, they, they've struggled uh, uh, significantly with uh, with continued growth. Uh, they have a lot of infrastructure problems of not being able to provide the infrastructure in uh, telecommunications and uh, basic property rights in government. Uh, they've got uh, a lot of issues. At the same time, there's companies that, that win from India, and uh, you'd probably know some names also of throwing in there. But uh, some of the Indian companies have, have emerged as very, very capable. Then, of course, China we've talked about. Uh, going back to Brazil for a moment, uh, two years ago, uh, All Metals and Forge Group, uh, the advertiser for this program, uh, opened a sales uh, operation down in Rio and in uh, uh, Sao Paulo. And uh, the market was uh, right at the peak and went down like a rock right from then. And uh, there, there's there's really no sight in uh, no end in sight uh, in view of uh, some of the criminality issues uh, that exist uh, uh, not only in the government but in private enterprise, and uh, they, they the price of oil certainly hasn't helped them, and uh, so it's going to be a long time I think before Brazil uh, makes a makes a comeback. Uh, would you concur on that, uh, Norbert? 
Yeah, I, I don't think there is a, a, a line of sight to anything that's that's really progressive, uh, uh, and we see things getting better. Their, their politics are screwed up, uh, and uh, it's going to be hard for them to come out of, of any of that anytime soon. Uh, Norbert, I would be remiss if, if I didn't mention here that you also do your own uh, business survey. And you're going to be a regular on the show with us. And one of the things we want to encourage our listeners to do is to get in touch with you if they would like to participate in your business survey. How do they do that? Oh, let me let me uh, let me take a minute and explain that. I can't miss that kind of an opportunity, Tim. Go, go. Uh, <laughs> when I joined Strategus. Uh, my focus was to be on two things, business surveys and also manufacturing in general. Uh, Strategus's clients are the who's who in the financial services industry. Uh, can't go into the details of who those are, obviously, but uh, we have eight to 900 customers that buy our research. And so um, uh, one of the questions I was asked is, do you have any surveys in mind that you uh, that you uh, uh, could could be doing and, and we could work on, and uh, I said, yeah. I, when I was doing the ISM survey, one of the things I realized was that uh, a lot of the data, particularly with regard to manufacturing, uh, is available earlier in the month than anybody is aware of at this point, or or anybody releases any information on. And I said, if 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 we could just come up with a survey that focused on two uh, indexes, and the two indexes are new orders. Uh, new orders is, uh, of all these surveys, new orders is the most important uh, uh, part of the release each month. It's the most important index in every one of these series because new orders is the lifeblood of manufacturing. If we're not getting seeing new, if the rate of change on new orders is going down, uh, we've got a problem from manufacturing standpoint. Uh, the other one is supplier deliveries, and supplier de deliveries are a good indicator of demand. What's happening? If demand is increasing, then deliveries should be extending. If demand is uh, decreasing, then deliveries should be shortening. And so we, we wanted to focus on those two. So what we do is we go out on the 15th of the month and we ask a, a select panel of manufacturers uh, what's happening, just, just those two data points. That way we keep it real easy, real simple, and something we can communicate. The beauty of it is uh, if uh, you're one of those select manufacturers, which uh, uh, we, uh, we, we go through a little bit of a vetting process for anybody that's interested in participating, but what you get back is you get early access to this information before anybody else. And uh, you get uh, our explanation of the information of what's going on. Uh, plus, you get some of our economic data uh, research and so on when it specifically applies to manufacturing. And uh, and there's no charge associated with any of this. It's just basically a goodwill relationship uh, between us and any manufacturer that wants to participate. So any of the listeners that would like to participate, if you'll send us a note, uh, indicate interest. I'll get back to you and uh, give you more details on uh, what participation uh, is involved. But it's a great mid-month look at what's happening uh, in in manufacturing. So far, it's been a pretty good indicator uh, of uh, uh, what's happening to manufacturing growth uh, in, in the U.S. Gosh, I think it's invaluable, Norbert, that the participants in the survey get this uh, early look and so they get to see the research results that you've compiled. So where do they contact you to participate in your survey? Uh, if they'll send it to N-O-R-E at strategus, S-T-R-A-T-E-G-A-S-R-P for research partners, strategusrp.com, uh, I'll take it from there. Okay, and we'll be sure to put that up on Manufacturing Talk Radio as well so that they can come to our site and find the link, your email address, and they can participate in the survey. So I encourage any of our listeners 
who are in manufacturing to become survey participants in this very interesting survey. And the benefit to you is that you get this early read on what's happening in that. Is that in that given month, Norbert? We're really yeah. looking at the active month we're in. Uh, it's the the active month. Uh, so right now we're working on the September data. Excellent, excellent. And uh, I have I, I, let me let me let me add to that, Tim, if I can. Uh, sure. In addition to getting information, we call that the strategic leading indicator of manufacturing. In addition to that, they will also get uh, the monthly summary of. Uh, these 18 surveys globally and a, a scattergram that shows the placement of each of these economies on that. It is a absolutely fantastic tool for supply managers need to be, uh, their company may have an economist, but uh, uh, you don't have to rival what the company economist does, but you need to be the spokesman for supply chains and for supply management. And this is a absolutely great tool to be able to show people where all of these economies stand in relationship to the others. Uh, Norbert, I, I have one last question. I think we're getting near the uh, near the end. No, we're not near the end of the show. Great. I'm going to ask uh, I'm going to ask a long question, um, and we haven't we haven't touched on this. Your uh, a report that you come out with, you just referred to it as a leading indicator. Uh, in looking at it as a leading, a global leading indicator, is that giving the uh, listeners, the manufacturers and such, insight into what's coming down the road uh, as a result of uh, Europe, Asia, and so on, so that it does ultimately correlate and directly relate to um, the, for example, let's say the ISM report or the MAPI uh, report. With, uh, the, the 18 surveys that we do, obviously, uh, you know, all of this survey work that I do is built on one thing, and that's change. What's the month-over-month -month change, and what direction is that change going? And so, uh, if we see a continuous weakening. Uh, uh, then uh, we, we know that there's problems in that area. A, a good example right now uh, would be uh, the, the scattergram for uh, August shows the ISM non-manufacturing sector growing at uh, 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 the index is 59. Uh, that's really the strongest growing area of any of the 18 major surveys. Uh, which says basically the U.S. is being carried right now by the services sector. Uh, manufacturing is, is, is okay, but it's not growing very rapidly. Uh, it's, it's uh, you, you know, the index for, for manufacturing was down to 51.1, while services were at 59. Uh, knowing that services are four times larger in their terms of their contribution to GDP, uh, that says that uh, that's the most critical data, and the trend that's happening there and where it is right now, uh, if it was down around 51, that would really concern me because there would be no employment growth or anything. But uh, and, uh, at 59, there is significant employment growth continuing to take place, as we see from uh, uh, a recent uh, job survey. Uh, and uh, I think that will be revised upward based on the survey data that I'm looking at. It says that number should be higher than uh, the preliminary uh, release on, on the jobs report. So uh, being able to follow each of these yes. surveys, follow what's going on. If you want to know what's happening in energy, for instance, I would look at the Texas Feds, the, the Dallas Feds survey that they do monthly and see the rate of change there, which uh, – it has been consistently declining. Uh, this month it was 47.9. It's been in the 47 range for a couple of months. There's no reason to believe it's going to break out of that 47 range anytime soon. Okay. Okay. Well, so that tells me that we've got, uh, I gosh, an economy that, uh, at least in manufacturing, is we're, we're not uh, quite sure of. Um, and we'll have to see where that goes. 
Um, I want to be sure to uh, get uh, some comments from Lou here, by the way, on next week's show. I also want to note that we have a newsletter coming out very shortly. Uh, All Metals and Forge Group puts out a newsletter every month called the Metals and Manufacturing Outlook. And in that newsletter is a section by Norbert Orr, and it includes the scattergram. And we would certainly like our uh, listeners to uh, subscribe to that newsletter for, from All Metals and Forge Group. You can go to spielforge.com to get to it. And take a look at that scattergram. It's very interesting. Uh, Blue, what's coming up with next week's show? Guess, Tuesday, uh, September 22, uh, we have uh, Maypie. Uh, which is the uh, Manufacturers Alliance for Productivity and Innovation. Cliff Waldman, Director of Economic Studies there, will be speaking uh, again on U.S. and global economic trends. It'll be interesting to see how we can uh, compare the uh, results of uh, Norbert uh, Orr's reports and the ISM reports and take a real serious uh, overview look at what's going on in the world. Um, And uh, that, again, will be on September 22, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, that will be at uh, mfgtalkradio.com. Tim? We're going to wrap up Manufacturing Talk Radio here. And uh, we want to thank Norbert Orr for joining us as our senior correspondent on Global Business Surveys. Norbert, thank you for being on the show with us. We look forward to you being on the show again with us in the future. And uh, that wraps us up for Manufacturing Talk Radio, and we'll be uh, back next week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for, thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.